1: Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking
1: requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, Zpack, I have a special guest today. We're really excited because we're going to talk about how we can kill less people, harm less people, and actually look deep inside and see what we're doing in a way that we are unable to do now as clinicians. Nurses and everybody, they already know kind of the care variation in this country, how some doctors are better than others. But the thing, you know who doesn't know that are doctors. And I have with us today, Dr. Bill Rifkin. He is the man, he's an internist, used to be a program director at Albert Einstein, is the managing editor of MCG at MCG Health and he's here to talk about this stuff bill welcome
0: thank you pleasure to be here
1: it's interesting so like we'd connected on the on a phone call and i wanted to, i expected to hate you i'm going to be honest <laughs> because in this show i get that a lot
0: <laughs> uh, yeah it's
1: something about you man no 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 it's because it's because you're talking about about guidelines about measuring variation in care about what I like to call the measurement industrial complex, which we've been clicked and measured and cookbooked into cookbook medicine. And so it triggers a lot of frontline docs to go, wait a minute, no, I don't want this in my life. I need autonomy. But when we talked, I increasingly found myself cheering and rooting for what (laughs) you were doing because you have nailed it, uh, which is, We don't know what we don't know when it comes to care variation, how somebody in Texas practices completely different medicine than somebody in New York, Mm -hmm. but yet we actually have data as to what the right medicine is. So tell us where to think about this even at the end. I
0: I often am put before docs who are they start off, I'm like, I might have like two strikes against me already, because you know, you're coming from this you know, guideline place and you're gonna tell us we're doing something wrong. Yeah. You know? So it's, it's not a very good conversation. Triggered. Triggered right, right yeah. off the bat. Usually when they actually either see what's in the guidelines or, or what the data is, they are much less threatened because it's, it's clinically reasonable and it's not black and white and cut and dry. There's very little. Uh, in medicine, that is like absolute, like this number means you need to be admitted. This number means you don't need to be admitted. And um, it's a very difficult situation the doctors are in because they have to justify their decisions for a payment mechanism, which requires them to do more documentation than they had ever done before and to basically show their math a little bit. Of, yeah. You know, what made you say the CHF patients need to be admitted, not just, you know, pulmonary edema, diarrhea, admit? Um, and then there's been this added new thing of observation care, which, you know, we were all trained. It was admit, don't admit, and now it's admit, don't admit, or should I put them in observation care, which might end up as an admission or not. So rightfully, the docs are either confused or have heard the wrong thing, and they need some guidance, but it's also like a, a frame shift. A lot of the... Situations that were slam dunk admissions, you know, when they trained. So CHF comes in with enough pulmonary edema to be hypoxic. Right. It used to be, oh, that's an admission. Easy. Right. You know, right. call the residents. Who need the admission? Now, not so. Not necessarily. Right. Not necessarily. It depends how they respond to initial treatment. Well, so so
1: so. See, so, again, I I find myself being drawn into this conversation because as a hospitalist, you're a hospitalist as well as the measurement industrial complex started inter- interfering with our right. autonomy, and that's how we felt about it, they were telling us, okay, no, this is definitely an OBS, and you mm-hmm. screwed this up, and now the hospital doesn't get paid, and it's on you. Right. Or you clicked the wrong boxes to, to show that the CHF needed to be admitted. But what, in in the background, what's happening is our entire care paradigm is changing. We no longer have to admit a pulmonary embolism right. if we can right. get them outpatient you know, uh, anticoagulation and they're stable. And, but but. So many doctors are still practicing either back here, and we don't have mechanisms to to even compare ourselves to other
0: physicians right actually p e is a great example yeah um, the study's a little bit old by now, but there's this this great graph of um, what percentage of p e patients coming to you know one of five hundred e d s is treated as an outpatient, mm. and the curve is like this, so there's you know maybe an eighth of the EDs that read the study and it's like 15%, maybe it's even too high. And then there's a third of the hospitals, the number is zero. They never heard of it. They never considered outpatient treatment. And probably all the docs in that hospital are practicing similarly and all think they're doing the right thing. And that's the thing. We don't know
1: what we don't know. And people are like, trust your doctor, they know what they're doing. Oh my God, Bill, I've looked at your data of care variation across the country. It is terrifying. The number, okay, just take a bariatric surgery. So, surgery to lose weight. If you look at the best surgeons in terms of outcomes, quality, et cetera, they're following guidelines or they they have at a center for excellence, compare it to somebody in the community that's doing bariatric surgery. Mm -hmm. The difference is that person in the community needs to treat 11 people to have one extra person die. From a complication.
0: Yeah, I mean, some of the some of the real shame of this is also why isn't this more common? Mm. So there was this great study with bariatric surgeons where they actually did all the all the surgeons in Washington State made a tape of them doing the surgery. Uh, lap uh, uh, sleeve. So they vid- videotaped actually them, videotape them, do videotape them doing it. Yeah. Or, or The the key part of it, and they sent these tapes to. Other surgeons who were trained, and they, their ratings were similar to each other, and they rated the people on a curve of skill, actual surgical skill. Who was rating them now? Other surgeons.
1: Other surgeons. Other so just surgeons. a mix of surgeons. Yeah,
0: but, yeah. A, but a group that was trained to evaluate, and it's you know, if I said it was good, he's likely to say it's good. I so see. It, so they're a little higher level yeah. in terms of. Yeah. And their ratings correlated with complications. So it, it, it was very interesting that there's even a study like this, and yet there's, this is very rare. This is notable because this study exists. It's very rare.
1: So, so, so let me just rephrase this because I think this is the most important thing that we can say today. There is data that shows that an independent panel of surgeons can review different surgeons' procedures, and what they determine, oh, that was appropriate, that was not appropriate, that was good, mm-hmm. that was not bad. That correlates directly with the number of complications that surgeon has. In yeah. other words, we have a known and proven mechanism yeah. for evaluating surgical technique, yeah. yet, these surgeons vary in their abilities, are allowed to vary in their abilities, and patients have no effing right. clue which surgeons are better than right. others. And it's not just surgeons. I mean, surgeons no, no, it's are cr- not. I like to pick, to pick, on, pick surgeons. on surgeons because yeah. they like to consult us yeah. as
0: hospitals, yeah. They always make fun of us. So we take it, we any, have to th- go any back. time we can do it. They actually do something. We just I'm actually, round and I'm talk. actually quite jealous of them because they do stuff. <laughs> right, Steel we're heels. Just, we're, we're still rounding. And I know. Already, you were still like, rounding talking out. about
1: gout. Right. And they're And they're, yeah, they're actually removing <laughs> do somebody's do, spleen. Do you know right.
0: the Romans? Yes, I know. They had gout. Um, <laughs> but, so it's also true in, in internal medicine, uh, internists as well. I guess the basic thing is most patients are not in a position to evaluate if they're Physician is good or not right so they judge them on their their manner I actually even saw in training that the docs who were well thought of and were like the leaders Weren't always the best clinicians. They were nice to their patients They yeah. basically did what their patients wanted them to do so they yeah. were popular they were Popular in the hospital because they were doing things that bought in a lot of money but it, like we all knew they, they weren't the real best clinicians and I guess Once you're done with training, docs very rarely are actually evaluated on what they do or their outcomes or their decisions. Like, you know, do you admit more patients than I do? And why? Yeah, in a meaningful way. So we have
1: maintenance of certification, but that's just a bunch of of, of questions on a test that don't correlate to what I do as a clinician.
0: You have to do this right. Yeah. we've probably lost a few generations already where you know, you're know you either measuring them by a bad measure, like I think readmission is, is a bad measure. Right, so You're measuring you're them for something that's not in their control, or it's bad data. You're blaming them for patients, that wasn't my patient, yeah, I admitted them, but I wasn't the one on day three to make the decision. Right. Um, or you're just doing a whole group of, uh, we'll evaluate the hospital's group, right. but then everybody says, well, it's not me, it's him.
1: See, and then we feel powerless. We feel like we're being graded on things that are beyond right. our control. Like you said, we feel like we're we're being told to practice cookbook medicine when in fact there is nuance. So, But, but the thing is, there is a way to do this. And so you know, you work with this group that, that creates some guidelines, some technology that helps us, but you get a lot of pushback from docs, right? So if you implement it at a hospital, they get yeah. very upset.
0: often, I don't even know what percentage it is, but um, one of the roles I have is you know the, the C-suite bought our guidelines and they're rolling it out and the um, case managers are using it. And then some of the docs are like, what is this? What, you, what you, you know, somebody says um, MCG gives you two days, you know, length of stay. I'm like, who's MCG and, and why two days? Right. So then I walk in and say, "Hi, I'm from MCG," and I've actually been like cornered in the, in the physicians' lounge, you know, by two pulmonologists and, and their posse behind them, <laughs> saying, "Are you the guy who says all PEs are four days?" And I'm like. Are you, me? No. I'm, I, we don't say that at all. You know, so it, it's misinformation. You know, the whole concept of a goal length of stay is some of the time it can be four days. And there's reasons it could be more that are perfectly rational, and then there's reasons that we all know are not rational and you know, or systems issues. And, and differentiating between the two is how a hospital can improve. But the first thing was almost like daring to measure you know, their length of stay. Because the, the first thing the doctors say is not my patient. And the sex, and second thing they often say is, but my patients are sicker. So you have to prove with your data that the patients you're looking at are very similar to their patients. Right,
1: risk-adjusted data right. is important because that, that's the thing that surgeons will say, you're reporting my complication right. rates, you're making this all public, I'm looking terrible because I'm the only person who takes these sick patients. And but yeah. but you, can you adjust for
0: that? So there's, there's lots of studies that have formally adjusted for it mm-hmm. and still find these differences. Right. We can do some of that. And also some of it is we look at so many patients So we look at so many heart failure patients when we say the admission rate is, you know, 70% for Medicaid Medicare CHF patients. um, We say that based on literally hundreds of thousands of patients. So Mm. when when somebody comes to me and says, well, my patients are CHF are old, I'll say, well, actually half of our cohort is over the age of 75, Mm. and they have diabetes, and they have kidney disease. So our patients look like your patients, certainly in broad strokes to come up with reasonable targets and to show this data to people and say this might be valid well so what's interesting to me is i think and there's a little pushback i'll push back on because
1: what you're saying is absolutely true we can do so much better the nurses know yeah. that there's variation in yeah. care and it's not good yeah. they know the one doctor who does things well and the one doctor who doesn't do things so great and one doctor who they would not send their dog to right they know this right. but this is not public data now yeah. where i think we're physicians are feeling beleaguered now and where it's hard is that say a company like yours comes in and says, okay, we have this way to improve it, but you don't motivate the heart. In other words, Mm -hmm. there was this guy, you probably heard this story, Ignaz Semmelweis. Uh, He was a doctor in the 1800s and um, we had the vitamin C sepsis guy on the show, Merrick, talking about this. He found that, wow, he did a study, if you the if you nurse, wash your hands, if you wash your hands yeah. on an OB ward, right. the women don't die of purpural sepsis. You'd think they'd wanna wash them anyway. You would yeah. think, <laughs> but back then they didn't know, that germ right. theory wasn't a thing. Right. So so the oh, the midwives were having these great outcomes and the doctors were not. Yeah. So what happened, when he publishes this stuff, they fire him, right. he dies in a mental institution. Why, because doctors, no one approached their elephant, their unconscious yeah. limbic system. They were defensive, they're like, right. hey, we can't be causing this harm. We're already beleaguered, they're making us do all this stuff. How can the nurses be doing better than us? Right. And, and so we have, to, we have to get, when I talked to you on the phone, one thing that, that got me was you made me feel something that, wow, we need to do better for our patients and for each other mm-hmm. in terms of eliminating care variation because we're hurting people. My mother, my father, if they go to the hospital, I
0: want them to get the same good care right. Right. across the system. And we're not doing it. it actually, it has to come from, first of all, uh, uh, you know, some doctors I've worked with are my heroes. Um, so, you know, it's sort of like the soul is good. It's it's It would be akin to a pilot on the East Coast. They fly a certain way, and the pilot on the West Coast flies a different way. And in a given situation, let's say there's a right answer. You know, there's not always a right answer in medicine, but if there's a right answer, you would hope that as a profession, we would have, well, most people are gonna pick the right answer, and if you're not picking the right answer, somehow that would get noted and fixed. Mm -hmm. You know, we inspect pools, we inspect elevators. You know, how come we're not um, noting that these things are happening. Because you're absolutely right that um, the nurses know. Remember, like when you picked up somebody's service, you picked up another physician's service. Some of them were huge yeah. because they never discharged the patient. Yep, the rock and some of them, right and some of them were, <laughs> some of them are very <laughs> small because they did. Yeah. And everybody felt, well, my patients were different that month. Month after month, their patients were somehow different than everybody else's patients. And hopefully with the right data and the right approach, and certainly appealing to their almost every doctor I've met wants to do the right thing. Yeah. You know, and yeah. it's just it's sort of getting past the threat and and it's not like I gotcha type of mistakes. It's more just, you know, gee, in in, in your E D, you know, a patient is literally twice as likely to be admitted than an E D over here. Um Maybe there's some differences in the patients, but not enough to explain all that. And that's been shown in study after study after study. It's never enough. The differences are never
1: enough to explain it. It's the practice patterns. Mm -hmm. And we all know this because if I pick up a service from Bill versus John versus Nancy, I know in advance what their patterns are like. I know Bill's gonna be a rock garden full of right. over-testing and over-intervening. I know Nancy's gonna be somewhere in between and John's gonna discharge them all early and they're gonna bounce back. Right. By the way, right. I'm ma- these names are not made right, up, right, right. but the practice patterns right. are. And so so the, the question is, you, you made the analogy of the airline uh, pilots. You know, you wouldn't want so much autonomy in your airline pilot that they're able to do barrel rolls. But you want enough autonomy that you have a a Chesley Sullenberger who, when the cookbook it's flying, off, we're off the reservation. They were off that, right. the reservation. Right. He has enough autonomy, critical thinking, and skills to go, I'm gonna land this ish in the Hudson right. because I, will, I know, I feel this plane. It is not gonna make and it to the airport they're trying to get me to right. go to, to Newark. Right. So you need that. You need it in nursing. In nursing right yeah. now, they're just told, click the boxes and call right. the doctor. Right. They used to think critically. And the older nurses are are they're burning out. They're being forced to retire, replaced with these these, the new nurses that are just like click 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 click. Call the doctor, document, no thinking. So there's some gray area with cookbook algorithms and
0: autonomy that we need to find. Absolutely. I mean, good guidelines are are flexible. You know, if some guideline, what I like to say is like you know, I can't tell you how many ribs up the pulmonary edema has to be to admit a CHF patient. I can make up a number but you can't be evidence-based, clinically real, and precise beyond the evidence. So you're gonna use words like severe, yeah. persistent. What does that mean? Well, describe it in your note, you know, did they respond to treatment? So it's, it's, it's not removing autonomy. On the other hand, it shouldn't just be a blank canvas. Yeah. A doctor shouldn't be able to do the wrong thing so easily. I mean, there's studies that are, are truly frightening. Um, one that stands out to me is, um, where they're measuring what patients got screening tests ah. uh, at what age. So, you know, a, a PSA for prostate cancer or a PAP test for cervical cancer. So There's a study looking at patients over the age of 65, and based on survey results, they can put them into like high risk mortality over the next five, nine years versus low risk. And the difference in the screening wasn't very much, and people were still screening these very, you know, a 75 year old who's really, really sick they're still doing a pap test or a PSA on them that either means it's just completely rote.
1: Yeah, you're just clicking boxes, right.
0: Or they're being measured by it somewhere and they just feel like they, they can't explain why they're not doing it, so they'll just do it. Or they, they don't know the math and, they, right. and they, they, they're, they're, their understanding of a screening test right. and benefit in 10 years doesn't make sense for this patient. It's crazy, yeah. and if you really look at it, and this is the thing, I've seen your slides of
1: your data. I didn't put them on the show because I don't want to trigger <laughs> a mass riot in this right, country, but right. if they saw the clinical care variation data and how much it's harming our patients, these aren't our patients, these are our loved ones, these are our brothers and sisters right. and our parents and our children that are being harmed. We right. never, we, we, you know, you and I are docs, we're hospitals, we can build a wall around ourselves and right. not feel stuff. We're good right. at that. When you feel it, you get, you just get upset. Yeah. And you know, Jill, uh, Jill Gambon says here, I think the word you're looking for is getting past their egos. Do you think ego is a thing or do you think it's, we're just conditioned? What do you think it is? Well,
0: Part of it, I think, is ego. Because, for example, there are situations where they want me to go talk to the people. Because you're a doctor. Because I'm a doctor. right? Um,
1: deploy, so, deploy the Rifkin. Right. Right. right, exactly. Some
0: of it is also just because I'm an obnoxious New Yorker. And, you know, if somebody corners me to talk about PE, I'll push back. You
1: yeah, know? yeah, yeah. I love um,
0: it. But so some of it is just that culture thing. But some of it is, you know. It's a good thing that docs have confidence. You you, you want a doc to have confidence. I think it goes too far if they are defensive and resistant. So if if somebody comes up to them with valid data that says they're acting or or their decisions are somehow at variance, significant variance over time from some other benchmark that we think is reasonable, that oughtn't be um, threatening as much as, gee, I better read about it or hear more about it.
1: Ah, it oughtn't be, but I'll tell you humans work You know, I mean, uh, on this show we're very much about how do you persuade other people to do the right thing? And a frontal attack using data when their belief is something different will fail every time Mm -hmm. unless you first form commonality, get an emotional connection, Maybe you use a little humor as a Trojan horse. And that's why I like you, Bill, because when we got on the call, you know, it's like, here we are, two doctors. We speak the same language. Right. We don't take crap from anybody. We don't like administrators any more than anybody else. Right. But yet at the same time, in our hearts, we want to do the right thing absolutely. for patients. So absolutely. motivating people, then you can use the data and go, like Z, I bet you didn't know. And this is what right. you did with me. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely.
0: Because mm-hmm. also some of it, frankly, day in, day out, the way it's being presented to doctors is brutal. It's like denials, yeah. so yeah. meaning, somebody six months later, looking at your chart, um, says, I don't think they need to be in the hospital. And sometimes their reasons are right, sometimes their reasons are wrong, but you get, you're already in that contentious, yeah. you, know, you have to defend what you did. Um, oh, and it's very
1: unpleasant. It's, it's very unpleasant. It feels like you're being attacked directly, right. yeah. Right, yeah.
0: I mean, I guess the unfortunate reality, though, is that um, the only reliable break in our healthcare system are the payers. I mean, so it's not the big bad payers. I mean, nobody else is saying, gee, maybe you don't need that total hip, total knee, whatever surgery it is. So unfortunately, the the system we've fallen into is, you know, often the doctors are rightly or wrongly, on board with a, a, a pathway you know this is either this is what they do for a living or if it's a grade it's a close call they're gonna air you know incentives work yeah. I don't think it's a secret yeah um, so we've developed a system where the, the yes no is coming from the payers not from the doctor patients talking to each other or the uh, or, or at least some of the time the doctor saying I don't think this is the right thing to do for you. Right. Um, Well, you
1: you know, you see, this, okay, this is a piece that I think is fascinating. The payers, insurance companies, are the only actual people here whose financial incentives actually align with doing the correct amount of care. Yeah. Now, they don't always get it right, and so right. their prior offs are onerous and right. we hate them, and they deny stuff that, that based on bureaucracy, but when it's done correctly, they're the only people going, you know what? All the data says what you're doing is at variance. Right. And, right. And, and we hate that because we hate insurance companies, right? right. So, and patients hate Just it because yeah. you're taking the doctor-patient relationship and you're interfering with it. Could it be that we could actually transcend that by not making it a payer? I know you have to do it now, but could it be that we could actually just have clinicians be doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do? You know, if they have the tools. If they have
0: the information at their fingertips.
1: Point of care. If
0: they really knew, like let's say this doctor who's ordering a PSA on a very sick 75-year-old man. If somewhere in the process they knew that this was an odd decision or something, mm-hmm. would that help? Mm-hmm. There's even a study about that, where they took patients who had either acute coronary syndromes or PE, mm. and symptom, vague symptoms that could be one of those in right. an ED. so Chest four, pain, shortness yeah, of breath. And they randomized one set of doctors, was in their EMR, they had a, a web tool that based on a Wells criteria or a Timmy score, told you, gee, this patient is low risk. For this, if you do a troponin or you do a a D-dimer, you can discharge them. Right. So, and then half the docs didn't have that tool. Right. The doc, the 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 physicians consistently overestimated the risk. So, like the the tool said, 76% of the patients, if you do this blood test, they can go home. The doctors said. 30 percent of the patients are in that category and they overestimated the risk so that they then had to get further testing further testing to me that seems like a factual like it should be relatively less threatening it's a factual this patient's chance of a pe is lower than you think it is let me
1: let me give you the counter argument that the docs will give but if i get sued because this was one of those one in one thousand where we miss it can I rely on these guidelines right. then to defend me? And if the answer Absolutely. is no, then I'm gonna over-test,
0: right. yeah. Absolutely, so I always, that first, I think the first thing is that a lot of the, a lot of the problems the doctors report are accurate. I mean, you know, I, I in my position, I'm in, the, in a very unique position, I hear horror stories from the payers, I hear mm. horror stories from the providers.
1: I've been in that position too, And they, yeah. they
0: both have their- Valid ac- points, They have yeah. their points, right? Mm. Um, I, I think, I never know what to do with the um, defensive medicine thing because mm. on the one hand, it's true. I mean, you know, you hear the horror stories of somebody who documented a conversation about the PSA, they followed six guidelines, and they did all this, and the guy sued him 10 years later because he got prostate cancer right. and was successful. Right. Um, I don't know if that's the tip of the iceberg, and lots of people are in that. Or That was one case out of 10,000. Uh, usually, what I, my response is, you know, try to do the right thing for the right patient and ordering extra tests, I, sometimes it might make you feel safer, sometimes it could be worse. Mm. You order that um, CT angiogram that wasn't necessary and it shows a, a, a small pulmonary nodule that you didn't react to. And that becomes a problem in 10 years. Yeah,
1: know? yeah. And, or you're injecting dye and you box their kidneys. Right, or right. You, actually, you know, and this to me is the fundamental nuance in this that I think we have to get better at. There is the malpractice, there's the litigious stuff, but there's also, um, there's who's gonna own the responsibility for it. Mm-hmm. So when when these new PE guidelines came out, I was, as a hospitalist, I was ecstatic because I hated admitting, right. uh, you know. Just for heparin and cumin. Heparin yeah. and and it's like, this person doesn't wanna be here. Right. They, they don't need to be here. And so this is what would happen. I would tell the ER at Stanford, look guys like, this is a perfect example mm-hmm. of a, somebody you can send home with the thing and, you know, and have them follow up in our clinic, outpatient, because we're right. all integrated. See, we'll see them tomorrow. We'll get the INR. We'll make sure that and they're, they're high-functioning. They can inject heparin, BID. Mm-hmm. It's perfect. And the ER doc would say, oh, I'm not getting sued doing that. Right. Like, right. you, you, you right. come down here and you discharge right. the patient.
0: Yeah. And you know what? I did. Yeah. I'm smiling because I did the same thing. I'd bring my little positive residents down, and I was angry, and I, I you know, I would do it, and I'm like, I hope that was the right thing to do. It felt very good. <laughs> it felt really good, it felt really
1: then in the back of your mind, you're like, you know what, are these guidelines really that right. good? Right. How many people did they study? I've looked at the primary data, but maybe I'm just not smart enough to see right. the holes right. in it. Maybe this ER doc who's 10 years my senior has something has that something knows something, know right? something. He's picking up a signal. He's something. smelling yeah. something in this patient. But more often than not, it's not. Right. It's just practice patterns, it's ego, it's right. fear. I mean, yeah.
0: uh, patients, are, uh, you know, patients and doctors, they both, I mean, you hear about the cases that go very wrong. So yeah. the doctor's getting sued even though they did the right thing. Right. Studies are mixed on how much defensive medicine actually does contribute That's to the That's right, care. they are mixed. You know, some they, people say 10%, some people say it's not that. Right, yeah. it, it certainly sounds logical. Another variable, though, are the patients themselves. So in the New York area, for example, you try telling somebody uh, with a, a, a backache that's not better in three days that they don't need an MRI. Yeah. Or for oh, their yeah. kid's headache, the they demands. don't need a head CT.
1: Demands of the patients, yeah. So, and it
0: also becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy. So patients in, in high utilization areas are used to certain levels of care. Right. Well, this is what happened last time or the other doctor did it, but. Somebody has to start changing it. That's how we get these islands of variation because they do do it differently over here, but the patients are used to that.
1: Yeah, you know, that's a key thing patient expectation. And again, I mean, if I look through these comments, by the way, these comments are great. They're really appreciating this conversation <laughs> we're having because it's a conversation to that a lot of people. My it's all your family. <laughs> Their whole last name is Rifkin. What's the deal with that? <laughs> um, I, I think that, see, monitor and treat the patient, not the monitor treat the patient, not the numbers. And, and again, this has more to do with your, this is what I like to think of it your evidence informed, guideline informed, but not evidence enslaved. Right. You're not telling Sullenberger, you cannot land in the Hudson. Right. You're saying-
0: It's off the guidelines.
1: It's right. off the guidelines. Right. You use your judgment. This right. is where all your 10,000 right. hours of training, and you know, I, I saw, I, I tell this story, Sullenberger, Chesley Sullenberger, I saw he opened for me at a Kaiser Conference Mid-Atlantic. Wow. So I had to follow this follow guy. Follow that, yeah. So you know we per-
0: saved five hundred lives like the other day, and you're like, "Well, I." I. I'm like,
1: I'm a clown on YouTube. <laughs> it was it was literally like that. So he goes up and he does this thing and he plays the tapes from uh, the day that the FAA mm-hmm. tapes and that aren't public. And you're sitting there, just everyone, all, there were a thousand physicians in the audience. They're all Kaiser docs and they're listening just riveted right. to this, because they are putting themselves in that plane. A situation
0: like that. situation yeah. like that.
1: And he's like, this is what happened. You know, the, the, the birds hit the, hit the the minute they hit the engines, you could smell in the cockpit the burning birds. And mm-hmm. you feel, he says, you feel it. It's not, no, nothing on the dials is like changing, but you <laughs> feel the bottom drop Uh-oh. out, yeah. and he's like, it's the worst feeling, and for 30 seconds, you're just paralyzed. You're just right. in- incapacitated. Right. Then everything you ever studied for, every flight he flew in the Air Force, everything, right. all Kicks in. Kicks in. And the team, he has his co-pilots, he has the stewardess, the airline. Everybody uh, knows what to do. Everybody knows yeah. what to do, and they all go into overdrive. Right. Here's where we violate the guidelines. Here's where we do the checklist. Right. Right. here's a, And he lands the plane in the Hudson, and they play that. and, and he, he, he says at the end, he says, you know, and so I want you to think about those 32 seconds on right. which your whole life is judged. Right. are you ready for it? Yeah. And when I think about what you're doing with with care variation, this is how we should think about it. This emotional, intuitive yeah. truth that we can do so much better with a little technology, a little science, and a lot of heart and caring. Absolutely. And less ego. Yeah. And and everybody was crying in the audience, and then I have to go up, hey guys! Hi! <laughs>
0: um, it's it's also important with for you know good guidelines also know that not every situation is about a gu- it has a guideline. Yeah. You know so yeah. yes some patients with heart failure pneumonia COPD but there's going to be vi- there's going to be exceptions. So nothing, I can imagine nothing could be more demoralizing than, you know, a team does some, you know, great work on a COPD, or they're intubated, then they extubate them, they make them all better, and then somebody comes by later and says, that was wrong, it was off the guideline. I mean, that would be, you know, so guidelines could be misapplied, they could be overly ambitious in what they cover. Um, But on the other hand, there is best practice, there is science, there is data about what can do the, One of the ways I put it is I show some slides about variation, you know, and I say, slides like this, you're, you're the CMS administrator, you know, so you have billions of dollars and you're spending it and you see these curves of different care, different places. You're like, why is that happening? Mm. You know, isn't, isn't it the same disease in different places? And, you know, that type of variation, I think, makes it harder for doctors to say, like, I'm the doc, leave me alone. I know what I'm doing, I'm the doctor, leave me alone. We, you know, that's the basic answer we mm-hmm. have. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, when you do that, you, you get this variation.
1: Yeah, so we need to let go of some of this 1.0 thinking. Now, the pushback will be, well, you guys are just health 2.0, you're the matrix and commodifying us. No, the way I think about this, and talking to you inspires mm-hmm. me to think about this more we have to optimize the ship of 2.0 so we get to the shore of 3.0, where we're able to spend time, repersonalize the right. relationship. True precision and unique person medicine
0: right. means you know the guidelines and when to violate them. Absolutely, or guidelines have a recommendation. Right. They're rarely mandates. Cut and, bl- you cut know? and dry. Right. Um, that's actually a plus and a minus. So in our content, for example, there are times where the evidence lets us say something like, this FEV1 number after this number treatments means you should admit a asthma patient. Yeah. You know, there, there's, there's evidence-based guidelines out there that we can cite. So you put a number out there. Mm. So then people are like, well, so one above means admit, one below means don't admit. It's like, well, no, you know. Yeah. So precision can work both ways.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And the other thing you said that I want to bring, it, bring us back to is, There are a lot of things in medicine where there is no answer. We don't have a guideline. We don't even have a clue. And that's the sacred space where you and me talking in a room, you're a patient, I'm a doctor or vice versa. That's where we thrive and we can get to that spot by taking care of the stuff we know we have guidelines right. for correctly. Right. So that our mothers and our fathers and sisters and our, and our children are getting the same care no matter which hospital they go to. The other thing I think is, we need more centers of excellence and less just random community hospitals. Yeah, the data is yeah.
0: very consistent that, you know, for high tech things, certain place, if you do it a lot, you get better at it. Always. You know, yeah. uh, than dabbling in it. I, I think, um, like, PCI, in terms of humility. So, um, Doing percutaneous coronary intervention for stable, not, not ACS, for stable disease, stable AB
1: chest pain angina, right.
0: putting in a stent. So you know nothing can make more sense than I do a cath, I see a blockage, I'm going to open it. That yeah. is plumbing; it makes sense; it must work, right? Right. right. Well, maybe not. We, we assumed it always works. It makes so much sense that so we it made so much sense we couldn't even study it in this country. You couldn't find a cardiologist to randomize somebody to not get a stent. So they did an amazing study where they actually did, in Britain, I guess Mm -hmm. they can tell them what to do. Communists. A a little bit more, right? (laughs) Um, So they randomized patients to get a cath and a stent for their stable angina, and another group got a cath. Only the the lab people knew who got the stent or didn't. The follow-up doctors couldn't tell who got what and they tested them on stress tests. So it's like a sham calf. A sham cath. Yeah. And they tested them on objective measures, subjective measures, and there was no difference <laughs> between stent and no stent. For a stable angina, one vessel disease, failed medical management, and it was like.
1: And here's the thing, that stent causes problems in itself. Yeah. You can have restenosis. you can have problems. It costs a double, ton of money. You have to take, take double, double the anticoagulant, anticoagulant for, yeah. Plavix. Yeah. Uh, you cannot overstate this overtreatment problem in the US and doctors get very triggered by this. Why? Because our incentives are to do things to people in our current system. Mm-hmm. We get paid for it, we were trained to do it, it makes sense, you're right, the plumbing right. all makes sense. But, but, but the truth is, like you look at knee surgeries, you look at spine surgeries, yeah. you look at, most of the time a sham surgery is the same. Sham yeah. acupuncture is the same as regular yeah. acupuncture. What's going on, it's called the mind-body, people care about me, they're laying hands on me, right. they're
0: doing something. If taking a sugar pill, could convince your mind that something good is happening imagine surgery oh it's I'm recovering from, look at the scar, I'm recovering, I can barely walk for a week, this must have been something good for me. And the irony is, the FDA has a process for medicines to to prove that they work. Mm -hmm. There isn't that for procedures. And so there was an editorial with that study that said, you know, this should change everything. Not every cardiologist agrees that this should change, that study should change everything. But they sort of made the case of, if it strikes you as perhaps unethical to randomize like sham surgery, Well, isn't it even more unethical to have this procedure done millions and millions of time for years and years and years that may or may not be beneficial? I mean, that's so, you know, a quicker way to get an answer would be the greater good.
1: (laughs) One thing I like to tell my patients when I first admit them, you are now in the most dangerous place on earth. My job is to keep you safe and get you home safely and quickly and make sure we treat your problem. I'm gonna be your ally in this. If you notice anything off, if you have questions, if you think something's not right, you need to tell us right away or you need to have a family member or a friend Mm -hmm. here to watch your back because it is hard, it's a complicated place. And, and, and this gets to the heart of we're, we're doing things to people instead of necessarily for them. And if we can figure out that, you know, PCI for stable angina, one vessel disease, doesn't help, we should stop freaking doing it. Right. And it's going right. to mean d- reconditioning a ton of cardiologists, particularly in the com- community. Sandeep Johar wrote a great book called Doctored, uh, The Disillusionment of the American Physician. Mm-hmm. He's a Long Island cardiologist academic. His brother is a is a outpatient cardiologist, private practice. Mm-hmm. Their practices could not be more right. different. Right. And and across the street from each other. Right. And the idea in the book he talks about just constantly calfing people for GERD, right. uh, doing treadmill st- stress echoes right. that are totally unnecessary, finding a little something on that and then pursuing it. Right. It's our incentives, as Robbie Pearl was on our show from Kaiser, and he said right. context determines behavior, and our context in this country is totally screwed absolutely. up absolutely and yeah.
0: you know there is a first of all incentives work i mean that's for most 100%. of the economy, for most of society, incentives work, so why should they not work here? doesn't mean doctors are evil it's just incentives matter right um, it's it's a hard sell to some of it, I think, is also people are just like, look, what I do for a living is important and it works. Yeah. And it, it, it might be a tough sell to say, well, gee, maybe it doesn't work. Right. Try, try explaining to the next patient with chest pain that they don't need a cath. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's almost like, you know, how it's easier to just give them the antibiotic than explain why they don't need an antibiotic. <laughs> exactly. This is sort of like that, you know, it's, it's just, okay, we'll do the cath because I don't want to sit here and, and then you'll go to another doctor anyway, he'll do it.
1: Yeah. Because they will do it. You'll always find someone who'll do right. it. Well, so I want to I want to close us out because we're coming up on um, 37 minutes, and I want to get it under 40 so we can share this. Because this is a fantastic discussion, man, and the comments are fantastic. Let's let's bring this back to the vaccine issue because we've been talking about a lot a lot about this lately. Vaccine issues where the science is settled. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of clear guideline and data. There's a schedule. Right. We have the algorithm that works and there's not a lot of variation in terms of how we ought to institute it. Now, (laughs) the anti-vaccine guys and girls, they actually point out all the flaws in medicine that you and I are talking about. Mm -hmm. And so in other words, that we're paid to do things to people, that, that, that their incentives do matter, that there's variation, we don't really know what's, sometimes something's harming. However, they go and take these correct instincts and truths, and apply Apply it to the one part of medicine where it doesn't apply.
0: (laughs) It's funny, I had, I promised my wife I wouldn't talk about the family, but I can't help myself. (laughs) Um, I'm not coming home till later tonight. There you go, you're probably not coming home at all after this, right? Um, I'm in Vegas. I I know, let's go party. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I I was at a family dinner, and somebody's new boyfriend was there, and was anti-vaccine. Good Lord. And I, 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 Against my better instincts, went into there and said, "Okay, let's talk about it." And it was like either he thinks I'm an idiot, right? Or and I'm just saying the wrong thing, and we're all just idiots. Or there's this vast conspiracy going yeah, on, yeah, yeah. and what's worse, I'm not in it. Yeah. you know, I'm the guy who d- didn't get the memo. That this is, I'm like, they say. It's so you're even stupider. So it's like I'd rather be insulted because you think. The science is wrong, or because you think I'm not in on the right meetings to find out the vaccines are, are no good? <laughs>
1: That's the thing, they keep saying we're getting kickbacks. I'm like, where? Yeah, Am so I the only one not getting the v- memo? Vaccines
0: are the one area where you can't say it's done for the money, right. for the, mo- for the yeah, most For part. the most part, yeah. 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 You know, yeah. In fact, they have to have funds to protect the companies who do it, so they'll keep making Exactly it. right, yeah. we did a
1: show on the Vaccine Injury Court. We also did a show on the Medical Device and Procedure uh, FDA process, right. the you know 510K process. Yeah. But for
0: clinicians, I think if like the reason the vaccine guidelines are so clear is because the science is so clear. And I yeah. think good guidelines allow you to be firm where you can be firm, be flexible where you can be flexible, and have numbers, data, outcome that can demonstrate, you know, to clinicians who are open-minded to change. Like, you know, <laughs> gee, maybe the care of CHF has changed over the past 20 years and yeah. maybe something is different now.
1: I think that's a perfect way to end, because what you're basically saying in, in Z Doug-ish is <laughs> Optimize 2.0 so we can transcend to 3.0. Love and care for your patients, and the way you do that is you do the right thing for them, transcendent of ego, and don't hate the guidelines if they can help. Now, do hate cookbook medicine because it's too extreme, and do hate full autonomy because you wouldn't want your pilot doing barrel rolls while another pilot's flying by the book.
0: A good example would be antibiotic stewardship programs. So one area where docs have already been you know, slapped and said, you are not allowed to prescribe vancomycin yeah. unless I say it's yeah. okay. And it just, it happened, and it onerous. went through. Yeah. But I've never seen a Cochrane review that, that was praising the evidence for its efficacy. I mean, they were like, they were like falling over themselves saying, yes, this works. So that yeah. would be like an example yeah. of where limiting autonomy is not always a bad thing.
1: Yeah, and you see, if it feels onerous to the docs because you have to call for approval. Yes. But the truth is that's the only Way. And as a resident, I remember I'm like, I'm ready to drop the Gorillacillin on this guy. Ah, yeah. <laughs> uh, crap, I gotta call ID. Right. And then when you call ID, they say, so tell me what's yes, going on. Yeah. And suddenly you have this conversation where you got served, you got educated. Yeah. You're like, she. not. Well I didn't in the realize. beginning,
0: as an intern, you're basically, like, look, dude, I am just saying what the attending is yeah, saying. The attending I'm wants gonna go it. back there and just just, you know, yes or no. He's and gonna later me. on you can actually have a clinical discussion. Right. Where often, especially with the ID folks, oh, they're yeah, like, yeah. Do you know in our hospital the the, I'm like, oh, I don't know. So, you know And now I know. Yeah. Now so they were willing to give that up, I guess right. because it's, it's right. less threatening, but that was an area, a, a model of, you know it doesn't have to be threatening that some decisions you have to run by people
1: yeah 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 i am i am all into what you're trying to do bill rifkin and if you guys want to learn more about what bill's doing what mcg's doing click the link in the description of the of the thing it's really you're a
0: z packer too man
1: yes like you yes, watched the show yes so we were talking about donald Hoffman my and my the nature my wife is
0: terrified that i'm going to be singing or something i said no oh I, should we do this it was, right now it's bad enough that i'm trying to pull off the pink here <laughs> <laughs> I think you nailed it. She's like, really? You're gonna you're gonna go
1: to Vegas and paint. I think you nailed it. That's the only way to come to Vegas. Right. What happens here now goes out to everybody. Right. Now everybody knows. <laughs> That's right. So thanks Bill Rifkin. Thank you. Uh, thanks um, for coming out to Vegas and guys ZPAC. I want you to hit like, I want you to hit share. I want you to tell the world about how we can build 3.0 by optimizing 2.0 and rejecting the worst aspects of 1.0 while preserving the heart of it, which is the human relationship. All right, guys, we are out. Hey, it's Dr. Z. Thanks for getting through the whole episode. That's a huge accomplishment. (laughs) And so at this point, I just got to ask you for a few favors because it just helps us so much if you leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. So join us there if you can. Again, zdogmdcom forward slash supporters. And I'm so grateful to have you with us.